Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 10th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, we have a lot of news to get to today, but before that, I just want to ask you guys, did you watch the Apple keynote this morning? I didn't watch the whole thing. I'd watch the Apple TV part, and then I let, I'd turn it off. I saw one part about the cameras, the the new pro cameras they have for a new iPhone or something. I don't know. I was barely paying attention. I, I just spent so much money on new camera gear, and now watching this, uh, their whole announcement on what they're doing with the future of iPhone cameras and how that works with the the, the pro version of the iPhone is going to have like a three camera array where you'll have an ultra wide, a wide, and then like a zoomed in uh, camera, and it, it just looks so good, and it's making me wonder if. If I made the right decisions into going, going, uh, you know, a mirrorless route with my my vlogging, because like there's even ways of now they, they were demonstrating. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this part, Ben, but they were demonstrating with an app that you could basically be interviewing someone, and it would be using your selfie cam to record your side of. 
the the thing in like a picture in picture window and then have the other person on the other side of the camera so you it would I guess it would be almost like a FaceTime call, but huh. shot professionally. Um, yeah, did not see that. I, I don't know, Peter. I feel like you're probably good with all <laughs> the money that you've spent on that equipment. And, like, you know, even with these this new three-camera system, I'm not fully convinced that iPhones are going to be great at doing low-light stuff. And that's, like, a big thing for you and yeah. and uh, a big thing for me as well. And, I've like, that that's always been one of my biggest disappointments with the iPhone cameras. So I, I'm not sure if they've cracked that yet. Well, I think was... the only way for us to find out is uh, for Slash Film to get the whole team new iPhones, and <laughs> we just t- test them out and see how it goes. <laughs> okay, I think that's the cue to talk about the news. Let's uh, let's talk about Apple. Let's, uh, they debuted a trailer for the for C. This is Jason Momoa in a new sci-fi show that it it looks kind of like Bird Box meets Waterworld, is what we were saying in the Slack channel. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Stephen Knight, the guy behind Eastern Promises and Peaky Blinders, has a new show for Apple TV Plus called C, which is a futuristic series uh, in which Jason Momoa plays um, a, a guy named Baba Voss, who is the father of twins who are born centuries after a virus has decimated uh, mankind and everybody who survived emerged blind. So Momoa's character is the father of these twins who actually have the ability to see. They're like some of the few people on Earth who do. And he's part of this this tribe. And there's a queen who is out to get the uh, the kids who can see. And it, it looks very... Um, it looks huge. Like I, I know that Apple TV Plus has not been spending Netflix levels of money on their original productions so far, but this looks like a very expensive show. And yes, the um, the plot elements do sort of seem like Bird Box and Waterworld because uh, you know it's a big futuristic sci-fi thing, and sight is obviously a, a huge element in it. But like visually, it, it sort of reminds me more of something like The Revenant or War for the Planet of the Apes, which actually kind of makes sense because Peter Chernin, who is the one of the producers on the recent Apes trilogy, is one of the producers here. Actually, the, uh, the this series uh, costs uh, apparently almost fifteen million dollars per episode. Oh, oh wow! Jeez, wow. maybe maybe they spent most of their money on this then, because I guess it, comparatively, maybe some of their other stuff is are probably um, way cheaper. So it seems yeah. like they they may have leaned the budget toward this thing, because and, and it looks like it too. It, it looks huge. It looks very cinematic. I, at first, I thought it was a movie because I hadn't read much into these Apple TV shows. Um, I will say it does look like the kind of silliness that I would enjoy watching for at least an episode. Like there's some you know like hand to hand battles that somehow the blind people are able to differentiate between the opponents and their, their friendly friends. Like how how does that work? I don't know. I have no idea. Brad, is this something you will be watching? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to sign up for Apple plus until they have a bigger library, uh, of content. I'm, uh, not super sold on anything so far. C is probably the one that I have the most interest in after this. And I'm vaguely interested in amazing stories, but otherwise, there's nothing that I'm like, oh man, I have to, I have to see that immediately. Uh, so I think that I'm gonna be waiting for at least a few months to see what else they add before I start subscribing. But why wouldn't you subscribe? You're gonna get a year free. I assume you have an Apple device of some kind, right? Yeah, but yeah, but don't you have to buy a new one in order to get it? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, but that does bring us to their next story that they did finally announce a launch date and a cost, and it looks like they are. They are really trying to compete with Disney+. Plus. What do we know, Brad? 
Yeah, in the middle of their big announcements today, Apple said that Apple TV Plus will be launching on November 1st. So they'll be getting uh, 11 days of a head start on Disney Plus. And they'll also be undercutting Disney Plus's uh, already low price point by only charging $4.99 a month. Uh, that's the lowest price for any of the major streaming subscriptions so far. Uh, but having said that, like I just said a second ago, Apple doesn't have the same uh, content library that places like Netflix and Hulu and the upcoming Disney Plus or HBO Max has at their disposal. So it makes sense that they're not charging uh, too much right out of the gate. And it seems like they probably know that they need to give people some incentive to sign up as well because they'll be giving away uh, year-long subscriptions of Apple Plus if you get uh, an iPhone, iPad, or laptop from Apple in the future. You'll, you'll get a whole year of Apple uh, TV Plus for free. And I'm sure that they're hoping that people will sign up for that for a year, maybe forget that they have to pay for it, and they'll think, oh, it's just $5 a month, and then they'll stick around. And hopefully during that first year, since they said they'll be adding new programs every single month, they'll have a big enough library that people will maybe want to stick with it instead of canceling it after the year is up. Yeah, Apple TV hasn't really revealed much about their service in terms of like what is going to be on day one. I mean, we know C is, right? But uh, Actually, the, the all the shows that they talked about today during their um, presentation where they said it would be available day one, which includes Dickinson, C, The Morning Show, uh, some Snoopy series, um, a, a, a series called Ghost Rider that we're trying to find out a little bit more about because it seems like it could be a reboot of the PBS series from the early 90s, but it has a, a, a different premise that seems like it could have a vague connection to the original. So, um, so yeah, they've got some stuff lined up, but it's, again, not a huge uh, library. Yeah, but is it going to be only those five or six shows at launch? Like, I feel like that would be the smallest launch out of any streaming service. I mean, maybe? I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess it just depends on what happens in the next few months. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, let's talk about some news that broke yesterday. Uh, this one, I think, got very, a lot of negativity from the, the whole of the internet. And that is that the, uh, Paramount is developing a face-off remake. And it's coming from the writer of Sonic the Hedgehog, Penn. What do we know? Yeah, so Paramount has hired Oren Uziel, who uh, wrote uh, 22 Jump Street. He wrote The Cloverfield Paradox and the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog film to develop a remake of Face Off, the 1997 John Woo action thriller that stars John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Um, guys, this just seems like a very, very bad idea. Not not just because of the writer, and I, I don't want to, like, you know... Um, put too much of this on the writer and, and, and to be fair because... the, the writer is one for three so that's right. right and and also like we don't know especially with cloverfield paradox i know there's a lot of like trouble behind the scenes on that production so like i'm not sure how much of this can be you know blamed squarely on on one person's put squarely on one person's shoulders but uh regardless neil moritz uh of the fast and furious and triple x and passengers is producing this uh one of the original producers of the uh, the first face-off movie david permut is on board as an executive producer this time around but like just the idea of a face-off remake, um, I'm not sure that that can work in 2020 or whenever this movie is going to come out because that film was such a product of its time. You had a post-pulp uh, fiction John Travolta who is sort of at the, the 
second peak of his career at that point. You had Nicolas Cage playing the psychotic killer in a way that only Nicolas Cage can. Um, I, and that I might even know. be the height of Cageness too. It's possible, yeah. And then, like, John Woo, who's obviously, like, taking everything that he learned from his years of incredible Hong Kong action filmmaking and, you know, throwing it into a Hollywood blockbuster. I mean, this is, like, an unhinged, insane movie that just doesn't seem like it would work in the same way today. So I'm very curious to see what this ends up looking like, although I I can't say that I'm, like... (laughs) actively excited yeah. about it well i mean obviously paramount is looking for a franchise and a, a way to make money uh i i don't know if they can recapture that lightning in a bottle but i was thinking about the ye- yesterday and i i do think there is one creative reason to remake face off and that would be that they now have the technology to make face off they do have the technology to now put one actor's face on top of another actor's body so you could have like actually have like a big actor like say The Rock. I'm not saying The Rock should be in this movie, but a big actor like The Rock and have his face on a little person's, you know, a smaller person's body and have The Rock's face on or you know and have that person's face on The Rock's body and th- they are acting, you know, with their 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 faces as the other person. I guess kind of in the way Face Off did, but this would actually bring a whole new level of of physicality to it this doesn't make sense to me i i don't i don't i I honestly don't understand what you're saying with this and like the the physicality comes from the way they did it in the original face-off i don't see how a digital face swap is like helpful here at all like the whole idea is that they're wearing each other's faces to look like each other and act like each other so (laughs) why would you need to do a digital face swap well, th- but that's what happens in the story, Brad. No, it, yes, but they don't. <laughs> they're, they're they're not. Ah, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> but but you, you were saying that the fun is in those people, like Nicolas Cage, to act like he's John Travolta underneath the Nicolas Cage mask, right? I mean, yes, but like the. But the I think you would thing- still be getting that. So if no, you if the- you if you had Nicolas Cage face on John Travolta's body, right? Peter, you don't Th- need then to you do would that. Have, then you'd have John Travolta acting like Nicolas Cage in his body, and then but you'd he's have... he's wearing a digital yeah. mask, basically. Right. He, you don't need to do that, though. That's pointless. Hey, it's, a waste hey, of, it's a waste of money. <laughs> Brad, I'm not arguing that that a remake of Face Off is something that we need, because I don't think it is something no, we need. That's, no, that, that's regardless. I'm talking about <laughs> this doesn't make sense practically by any means whatsoever. It is I, not I only... Guess... I guess just really quick, like Peter, in the world, in the fictional world that these characters live in, would it look like they're wearing a digital mask of somebody else's that's, face? That's, yeah, like... that's the thing. There's no reason for them to take the face and put it on but their what, own but, body. But the it, whole idea that they're, they're supposed to look exactly like the other person. But, well, okay, yes. Uh, so I guess maybe you wouldn't have the discrepancy in size that I was touting in my example. But... Right, so, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> And I guess you couldn't do the Dwayne Johnson, uh, Kevin Hart version of this either because then because of skin tone, skin, skin tone. But, um, <laughs> but I I do think that there's something here. There's something. There's a that that would be the only creative reason to make this remake. If that's mind. the only creative reason, then we we are bankrupt creatively. 
Well, I think there's one really great reason, and that it's finally going to give us the Dermot Mulroney Dylan McDermott combo <laughs> movie that we finally have been you know, we've been desperate for for all these years. Yeah. And then Derbel McDillett will come in and kill them both. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I know you didn't want to go hard on on the screenwriter, but I, I do want to mention the producer Neil Moritz, who, in all accounts and in my mind, is just a horrible producer who has horrible tastes, and he ends up. Uh, I don't know. He even got kicked out of the Fast and the Furious franchise, right? Yeah, there was a whole big uh, discrepancy about the spinoff and who had rights to what and producing fees and all sorts of uh, yeah business and nonsense there. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I just don't have much faith in this overall. Anyway, I mean, aside from it being a bad idea, the people involved do not give me any faith in this. Uh, but we should probably move on because we have a lot to talk about. Um, let's talk about Disney+. Plus. Let's talk about um, The Mandalorian Season 2. John Favreau wrote and produced the first season, but he did not direct. Brad, will he get a chance to direct in the second season? Yes, it seems like John Favreau is planning on directing at least one episode in the second season of The Mandalorian. Uh, Disney and Lucasfilm haven't yet officially ordered a second season of The Mandalorian, but that's not stopping Favreau and all of his people from planning the second season. Uh, he's been writing for... Uh, at least a couple months now. He talked about that on uh, one of the late night talk shows. I think it was Kimmel not too long ago. And uh, that's not surprising considering The Mandalorian itself is something that Favreau started writing before he even took the idea to Disney and Lucasfilm. He wrote it himself, got four episodes in, and wanted to make sure that he could present them with his full scope of an idea for the series and that they would let him make make it the way he wanted to make it before he actually pitched it to them as a very basic idea. So the fact that he's already planning season two makes perfect sense. Um, it's what remains to be seen is whether or not we'll see any of the other directors from the first season return to do more episodes or if Favreau will spread the love, maybe get some other up and coming uh, filmmakers and exciting names to partake in the second season. And uh, yeah, so it's um, this is pretty great, you know, seeing them be so ambitious with The Mandalorian when we're still a couple months away from even seeing the first episode on Disney+. Plus. I'm a big fan of John Favreau. I like his work behind the camera. I, although I feel like it's every other movie now that I'm not so much liking from him. <laughs> like there's like one movie he does, like you know, I, you know, Iron Man. Then there's an Iron Man two, and then there's you know, uh, uh, something. Chef. Yeah, Chef. And then there's a Cowboys and Alien. Like it just seems like like he has an alternating like. I don't know. There's one movie that he does great, and then I'm not sure, like, is it that he takes that creative control of having that success, and then it's, like, too much creative control, and it goes bonkers? Like, do you feel that, Ben? Um, hmm. I don't know. I, I, I guess I sort of see him as somebody who's interested in taking uh, technological risks and maybe not as much storytelling risks, but I think... Uh, I, I'm definitely interested to see where he's coming from with The Mandalorian, especially because of what Brad said, how he crafted four full scripts before getting Disney to sign on to this thing, because that means that he wasn't just in it for um, pushing technology forward. He actually had a real story that he wanted to tell here. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, that's an interesting theory, Peter. I'll have to think about that yeah. a little bit more as, in terms of his film stuff. I know when the series was announced, I think we were all kind of shocked that he wasn't directing an episode, but that was because of The Lion King. He was deep in, in post-production on that. Um, let's move on to another Disney Plus show. Let's talk about Hawkeye. Um, we may have found our MCU Kate Bishop. Ben, who is it? 
Haley Steinfeld from True Grit and Bumblebee uh, has been offered the lead role of Kate Bishop in the new Hawkeye series for Disney+. Plus. We know that Jeremy Renner is coming back to uh, reprise his role as Clint Barton in the show, and Kate Bishop in the comics is uh, Hawkeye's trainee who essentially takes over as the MCU's or, or the Marvel Universe's sort of a primary Hawkeye. Um, Steinfeld is a terrific actress. I've, I've loved most of what I've seen her in. I think she's been great in just about everything. Um, and I think she has a really good, I, I mean, this is to me excellent casting because she has like the physicality uh, and, and the sort of like I don't take shit from anybody attitude that Kate Bishop needs, but that character is also a little bit goofy um, sometimes. And I think, you know, if you've seen Steinfeld's work in like Bumblebee or the edge of 17, you know, that she can do, she can sort of walk that line and do that kind of stuff as well. And I think this is like a great get for Marvel. Yeah. I wish we had HT on here to be screaming and uh, have, have the excited <laughs> uh, point of view here. But I, I think we all, think that Haley Steinfeld is is a great actress and would make a great Kate Bishop. So I'm not sure there's much more to be said here. She has not officially signed on yet, but she's been offered the role. Uh, it, it's very confusing to write about movies nowadays because, you know, we, we're getting the information as it's happening. And, you know, obviously she met with Marvel and she was offered the role, but, you know, they have not come to terms yet, which... I it could mean a variety of things. Could mean just you know the, they haven't worked out the price, and she hasn't signed on the dot, dotted line. And I, I think we've talked about it in the past on this podcast that like you know sometimes that can ha- take months after it's reported that they've been cast in something. So mm-hmm. uh, so it, it might just be semantics, but uh, it's worth noting. So we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, another thing I want to talk about with Disney Plus is at D twenty three Expo, they showed us a teaser for the Muppets. TV series, the comedy series coming to Disney Plus. And um, it was very strange. It was Kermit, and there was like this lawyer, uh, like a beaver or something. There was a, another a Muppet that put, playing a lawyer character, and Kermit was trying to tell us all about this upcoming series and the lawyer was not allowing him to say certain things to the point that he basically could say nothing about the show. That basically there's just that a show was coming. Uh, and now we learned maybe why that is maybe why they were unable to commit to what the show is brad tell us about it yes it turns out that the muppet series that was being panned for disney plus is not happening at least in the iteration that it was previously being developed uh we previously heard that adam horowitz uh eddie kitsis and uh frozen star josh gad were working on a comedy series called muppets live another day which would have taken the Muppets back to uh, 19, the events of 1984 uh, after the Muppets take Manhattan and followed the gang as they were uh, disbanded by Kermit, only to have to come together again after Ralph suddenly disappears in a mysterious way. But unfortunately... By the way, uh, that, sounds... that sounds awesome. That, that yeah. story sounds incredible. And Muppets take Manhattan is um, one of my favorite Muppet movies, and so going back to that time period sound, sounded amazing to me. Um, however, apparently it didn't sound uh, too good uh, to the uh, new Muppet Studios president, uh, who is David Lightbody, because uh, they were clashing 
uh, over creative differences. And so the trio behind the series decided to leave and let him uh, do what he wanted to do with a Muppet series instead. And uh, Josh Gad released a full statement on Instagram. We have it in our post on Slash Film. And the way he talks about the series and describes it just makes me even more bummed that we're not going to get to see this show. Because it sounds like the perfect way to revive the Muppets with that little bit of nostalgia, but also do something that's like fresh and creative and self-referential and meta just in the way that all of the, the Muppets things are. So it's, uh, I think this is really, really uh, a disappointment. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Muppets. Uh, Muppets, uh, Muppets uh, Take Manhattan is one of my favorites of theirs. It really seems like Disney does not know what to do with the Muppets. Like, you know, they had that TV show that was uh, very critically poorly received. Um, they, you know, they, they had that great first movie with uh, Jason Segel, and then they followed it up with Muppets Most Wanted, which was like a complete 180, and I, I really do not like at all. And, Brad, what do they need to do to fix the Muppets at Disney? Because I, I'm a big fan of the Muppets, and it's it's sad. that They, they, they just got rid of the Muppets, uh, the Muppets, uh, Muppet Vision 3D in Disney California Adventure, and I was just over in Disney World, and the Muppet Vision 3D over there looks like it's probably on its last legs as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see the Muppets losing relevance in today's pop culture but it, it seems like it it disney's to blame i mean yeah it, it really does seem like they um like you said they really don't seem to know what to do with these characters and i think part of it comes from disney wanting to keep them maybe a little more uh family friendly than they used to be because like the muppets have always been family friendly but they had a little bit of an of an edge to them so that adults can enjoy it too I'm not sure Disney knows how to balance that or find the right people to do it in a way that pleases both uh, the studio and also the creatives who want to work on it. And this idea from, uh, you know, Eddie Kitsis, Adam Horowitz and Josh Gad seemed like the best way to do it. It's like I said, it's exactly what I wanted from the Muppets. But I don't know. And and by the way, those three guys are big Disney guys. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, those two writers did Tron Legacy. They did Once Upon a Time, which was a huge hit. Josh Gad is in everything Disney produces now like if they can't make something like this happen like it and yeah and well josh gad's the kind of person too he's he's passionate about this kind of stuff he's very much like like one of us in that way where he's he's very geeky and nerdy and has a love for a lot of these properties that he grew up with just like we did and so it's people like that you want working on these shows but you know sometimes executives don't get that and i don't know it's it seems like the muppets are starting to go the way of of looney tunes in the same way that uh, you know, some people remember them and remember the classic stuff, but they don't really know what to do with them for today's audiences. Yeah, that's that's pretty sad. Okay, um, Chris Evangelista is at the Toronto International Film Festival still. He saw Ryan Johnson's new film, Knives Out. I will put a link to that in the show notes, uh, but I think it's safe to say that he really, really, really liked it. And uh, while Ryan Johnson is in Toronto doing a press, someone asked him if they, there's a chance of doing sequels. Ben, will we get a Knives Out sequel? Yeah, it kind of sounds like it, although I don't know if the word sequel is exactly what Johnson would use. Uh, Somebody asked him if he would do another Knives Out type of film, and he said, the truth is I had such a great time working with Daniel Craig, and I had so much fun uh, doing this on every level from writing it to making it. I've never really been interested in doing sequels, but this, the idea of doing more of these with Daniel as his character, is not sequels. It's just what Agatha Christie did. It's just coming up with a whole new mystery, a whole new location, uh, all new cast, whole new mechanics of the appeal of a mystery and everything, it would be a blast. So that was Ryan Johnson's quote. And it it sounds like he is interested in making more 
movies with Daniel uh, Daniel Craig as the uh, eccentric detective character. I think his name in the movie is Benoit Blanc. Um, I think that's how you pronounce yeah. that. I haven't seen Knives Out yet, but uh, man, I'm really looking forward to this film. And and he mentioned Agatha Christie. She is obviously like a best-selling uh, mystery author who was really like one of the primary inspirations for Knives Out. And um, what he's referencing there with what Christie did in, across her literary work was incorporate the same sort of detective character in multiple novels. Uh, she did that with Poirot, who is her own sort of super smart detective character, and uh, Miss Marple as well. So um, the idea of Ryan Johnson making a ton of movies with Daniel Craig, all these murder mysteries with him just dropping into new locations and, and meeting new A-list casts and interacting with them sounds terrific to me. What do you guys think? I mean, I'm in. Uh, for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering how well this movie is going to do. You know, Ryan Jones is coming off a uh, Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, and this is a, a smaller film, to be said, you know, in all respects. Uh, like, uh, Brad, do you think that this movie could do well enough that it will, uh, you know, interest people in, I guess... I mean, are they sequel spinoffs? I don't know. I think it's sequels. I'm going to call it a sequel. If it's the same person, it's a sequel. I mean, it's a sequel, but it's not, it's not. You're not carrying over any story elements except for that one character, and so that that's kind of a. So are like the a, J- James Bond movies, the old James Bond movies, are those not sequels because they're episodic? That's the I mean, thing. I think you can make a case that they're not because, yeah. like, you don't know exactly when they take place, and you know, the Bond mythology is is a difficult thing to get into. <laughs> Except yeah. for the new ones, the new ones are serial, obviously. Right, right. But, uh, but yeah. So I'm, I'm all for seeing that happen. I, I think this cast is big enough, and the premise is is good enough that people will be interested in seeing it. Um, but you know, it it all just it's it just comes to a matter of whether audiences are are starting to go to movies less because of all the streaming stuff that's happening now. And I could unfortunately see this as one of those movies that people will be like, oh, I'll wait to see it when it comes out you know, on to rent or on Netflix or something like that. And it doesn't maybe it doesn't do all the box office, but hopefully the overwhelming buzz for this kind of movie with this kind of cast will be enough to get people interested. And will he even have time to do more of these movies? I mean, he's supposed to be working on a new star Wars trilogy. Ben, did he say anything about that? Yeah, he's still working on that. He basically said, uh, I'm where I can't say anything about it, still completely in process. He said, it's a process means it's a process. So that means that it could change, it could shift. There are a bunch of moving parts with it. Um, So yes, he's still developing that. Um, We don't know exactly when the first of his movies are going to arrive in theaters, but we know that uh, Star Wars is sort of pumping the brakes a little bit on their theatrical stuff. We know that after Rise of Skywalker hits theaters this December, uh, three uh, still untitled Star Wars Wars films will be released on the uh, weekend just before Christmas every other year starting in 2022. So we assume that... Do we know for sure that those movies are the trilogy from the Game of Thrones guys? No, that's the thing. We, you know, one of those movies could be Ryan Johnson's first movie uh, in this new spinoff that he's working on. One of those could be the Game of Thrones movie. One of them could be something that they haven't officially announced yet. It, it's still too early to tell there. Very cool. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of the stories we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes and on SlashHome.com. Slash Home Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please leave your name in general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>